What's up, Pitt fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Pitt Mailbag here on the Post-Gazette Sports Now YouTube channel, brought to you by Mike's Beer Bar. He is Woo. Christopher Carter. I am Noah Hiles. Carter, it's the final week of camp. We've Thank made God. it through the quote-unquote dog days. Uh, there were a lot of dog days last week, I'm not going to lie. They're, they're, the first week's exciting. The second week's exciting because they're, they're, they have the pads on and they're hitting, they're scrimmaging. This week's exciting because camp's almost over. The games, there's actual college football being played Saturday. Pitt's not a part of it. But week zero is is on the horizon. But that last week, man, week three, it is tough. It's tough for the players. It's tough for the coaches. It's tough for us to find things to write about. But we got through it. We got through it. The dog, in the words of uh, Florence and the Machine, I believe that's right. The dog days are over. Yes. Way to to pull that one out. Yes, we we are moving on now. Uh, to the week prior to the regular season, how you feeling, buddy? I'm feeling great, man. This is we, we've seen some a lot of exciting things in camp. We've seen a pit team that I think that is that is really exciting. We're excited to talk to you all about because there's a lot of aspects of this roster that are very interesting. Um, I'm also excited to see who won that second scrimmage because the offense won the first one and uh, the defense was kind of unhappy about it. So uh, how did that play out? We'll, we'll, we'll find out when we get to practice on Tuesday. Yes, we certainly will. But before we do that, we got some questions to answer as we record this on Monday afternoon, Brian starts us off <laughs> with his question. And I like this one a lot. Are Pitt's freshman receivers actually this talented or is this just more of the coaching staff trying to build the confidence of a young group? Chris, I'll let you start. I mean, it's not like they're doing this for every freshman group of players that they've brought in so that far. That is true. Like that that's that's where I'm at. And like, yes, you know what? I'm sure pit coaches, they do things to to try to push their players. They motivate their players in different ways. Some players, they give more negative you know, encouragement, like, like, oh, you could be better. Than, oh, you could do this. You could this. Some players, they are more positive with. And one thing I've learned in covering this team is that they have different coaching approaches for different players that they coach because that's how you are a great coach. you got to know how to push different people's buttons. But I don't think they're pushing buttons by just promoting what they're doing. I think they are legitimately like, Holy crap, some of these guys are really good. Kenny Johnson, I mean, just from what we've been able to see in practice, that dude's making plays. Yeah. And like Zion Fowler making plays. Like they, they, these, these are guys who have been looking solid when we've had our eyes on them. And uh, you know, I'm not gonna say that they're gonna be Jordan Addisons or anything like that, but I, I think that they, this is not this is not overhyping or just trying to puff up guys that aren't doing anything. Pitt doesn't do that. In fact, Pat Narduzzi is notorious for like when Kalaja Kansi was a was a redshirt freshman. He was like, yeah, Kalaja is like quick and all, but he he can do, do a lot better. But like he like they will they will tell their players that if they're hyping them up, it's because they're doing something. Yeah, I I agree that um, there are some legitimate talents here talents here, and I think. While the coaches can say that, I'm someone I want to hear it from other people aside from the coaching staff when they're in front of a whole bunch of reporters. And I have heard that from sources that we we both trust, guys, you know, who are, are really close to the program, who know a little bit more inside information than the both of us. They'll they'll tell us, yeah, some of the some of these dudes, Kenny Johnson, Zion Fallerell, they they these are legit talents that they have here. And like Carter said, I, I'm not expecting either one of those guys or Lamar Seymour or Izzy Polk to be a Jordan Addison. Um, but I think there have been moves made that indicate confidence in this group. They moved Javante Royal to receiver 
this spring to add a little bit of depth. Well, now he's back at corner because they're confident in this group that they have, knowing that, yeah, we're probably going to have to play two, if not three freshmen this year. And uh, we're fine with that. they're, they're, They're cool with the idea that these young guys are going to be contributors immediately and that that i think says something it says something when you do see them running routes with the ones or you know quick into that rotation when when their names are being brought up without us having to ask i think that that's also something uh to note so i don't know how talented they are obviously we won't find out that answer until uh you know some saturdays in september august and november arrive um, and, and we might not even have the full answer on that this season. It might take a couple of years. The, the best freshman this season might not be the best freshman overall right. in, in this class. It might take a guy a year or two to figure out the offense or just be healthy or whatever the case might be. Um, but yeah, there just seems to be a lot of confidence in this group with position changes. It seems like they're not is heavily recruiting the receiver spot in the 2024 class now. Um, and that might have something to do with just saying, look, we're going to be, we've got, we've got a group of guys here that are going to be here for three years. So they're pretty confident in the batch that they have. So I think that that does something. Um, I don't know. Overall, I expect one of these four to be a really good player. I think I expect another one of these four to be a solid player. I think the third one will probably be hit or miss, and the fourth one will probably transfer. Don't know which one will fall into that category, but I think that that's probably the best way to analyze this group of four right now. And I and I think if you can get two starting receivers anytime in the future out of one, if you can get two starters for one position group in one recruiting class, you did well recruiting that position. So mm-hmm. there you go. Sean wants to know, if Phil Dracovic goes down, who do you think is next in line, Christian Veyer or Nate Yarnell? I'll start with this one. I don't think they know, if we're being honest with each other. Really? Uh, yeah, I, I do. Um, just because Veyer, I think, is probably the favorite. And if both return next year, I'd bet on him to be the starter. But familiarity with the playbook matters in this offense. And I don't think they want to put a guy in a spot where he goes from a spread offense where it's quick read, throw the ball away to Signetti's offense. They saw what happens when you do that last year. So they, if, if, if it's a temporary thing, I could see Yarnell being the guy for a short term thing, just because he can come in and manage the game because he's more familiar with the playbook. Now, if you're, if if Phil were to go down for an extended period of time, it probably it might actually be Christian because I think he is the, the more talented of the two. But as of right now, I think Yarnell is just probably a little bit more comfortable with the playbook. And if you just need someone to to maintain things, then you're probably going with him. Carter, I feel, I feel you. Do you have anything oh, to add? No, no, sorry. I thought you, I thought you had another point there. My bad. No, no. Um, but no, I. I Listen, Nate Yarnell handled a situation very well last year when they brought him in with Western Michigan, and, and, and like he wasn't asked to do a whole lot, but he did his job, and he right. made some some really good moments in doing that job. And I think he's going to be better this year. I feel you on the Christian Bayer, you know, adjusting to the system and everything like that. 
but I do think Bayer is going to be the number two guy. I think that when yeah. all said and done, he has the talent. Uh, he has, he has, you know, the, the, the experience as far as playing at college football and, you know, understanding the pace of things. I, I also think Bayer is going to end up being a better quarterback than Nate Arnell. And I think that he's going to, I think that's the bottom line here is that I think that if it's close now, I still think if Bayer, like let's say Bayer's like a little bit better than Nate, but maybe Nate knows the playbook a little bit more. I think Pitt's going to look at that and say like, you know what, Bayer is, has a higher trajectory. We're going to give him him a shot here uh, if if Phil goes down in that situation. And who knows? It may, Maybe we, we still got to see how things play out. We don't know how this scrimmage officially played out and, and what's going on there. But one thing that Pat Narduzzi said is that turnovers have been a very limited thing in Pitt's scrimmages uh, from Pitt's offense. And that's saying something because Pitt's defense and a lot of the guys that are still on this defense are known for creating and getting turnovers. So if, if all three of these quarterbacks are protecting the football, it's a very good sign for the progress that they've made in this offense. I, and But I do think that Bayer is going to be that that number two guy, whereas Knight Yarnell will be the number three guy. But I would suspect if they were in that situation, if Bayer were to come in and struggle for like several drives, they would not be afraid to give Nar- Yarn- Nate Yarnell a chance. As we mentioned at the beginning of this program, this show is brought to you by Mike's Beer Bar. Whether you're in for a Steelers, Pirates, or Pit game, Mike's Beer Bar is right across the street from PNC Park and has the best selection of beer in town, as well as amazing food options. They have over 20 televisions, and you can catch all your NFL, college football, Pirates, Penguins, Riverhounds, and Premier League action right at Mike's. Come on in and try one of their 500 different available beers, 300 of them being local beers, as well as their 80 different local craft beers available on tap. That's Mike's Beer Bar, a place where Carter and I have spent uh, more than a few uh, <laughs> hours throughout our throughout our years. We'll keep it moving now. Larry has a question. Uh, Larry wants to know, is it fair that we start demanding a national title from Pat Narduzzi? I don't care about disparities in college football. If you coach somewhere, for near a decade, and you can't win a ring, it means you failed. I'm going to start off on this one because I did a little bit of a home- I did a little bit of homework. There are ten coaches right now at Power Five programs that have been at their uh, their program longer than Pat Narduzzi. It's Kurt Kurt Kirk Ferentz. I I I've only read his name. I've never said it out loud. It's Iowa's coach. He's been there for 25 years. Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State for 19 years. Kyle Whittingham at Utah for 19 years. Saban at Bama for 17 years. Dabo Swinney at Clemson for 16 years. Mark Stoops at Kentucky for 11 years. Uh, Dave Doran at NC State. James Franklin at Penn State. Dave Clawson at Wake Forest. And Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. All of them have been there for 10 years, I believe. Of those names that I just mentioned, only two of them have a national championship. So, the rest of them, failures. Yeah. Get them out of here. Jim Harbaugh, failure. <laughs> James Franklin, Bums. Get them out failure. Of here. Mike Gundy, come after me. I'm a man. I'm, I'm 40. <laughs> He's a failure. I mean, you, Kyle Whittingham, make, making the state of Utah relevant year in and year out each fall. No, he's a failure. No, I, I completely disagree with this. Another thing I wanted to point out. Since 2010... Only five coaches have won a national championship. Five. Only three of, or no, excuse me, since the start of the college football playoff, only five Mm -hmm. coaches have won a national championship. Only one of them has won one title, and that's Coach O, which means 
if if you're a guy who's winning national championships, you either have had sustained success at one program or you're a guy like Urban Meyer who's just you come in somewhere and every you, you dominate recruiting and you build a winner. If you keep going back since 2010, there's been seven coaches that have won a national championship. Of the three that only have one ring, their quarterbacks were Joe Burrow, Jameis Winston, and Cam Newton, which means you either need to be a head coach at a powerhouse like Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, or Georgia, or you need to have a Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback. That's how you win a national championship in today's game of college football. Now, granted, Pitt almost had a uh, a Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback a couple years ago, and they almost got into the college football playoff. If they didn't lose the Miami and Western Michigan, you know, they, they might have been able to stay. I mean, if they're 12-0, and they definitely get in. But they did it. So, yeah, I just think that it's it's fun to demand a national championship. It would certainly be fun to cover a national championship. I think Pitt fans would love to see a national championship. But as, as I've pointed out, it's very hard to win in this sport because so many programs have just a head start. And now with NIL, it's even a bigger head start. And you can make moves to try to counteract that. And, and Pitt is paying this guy a lot of money to figure it out regardless. And Pat does have a system that is worth noting. And he's, he's trying to get the most out of it. And there are times where, like I said, in 2021, if you don't get upset by two teams at home that you were favored to beat, you might've been in the playoff. And then who knows what happens? I mean, I don't, I don't think they're, they're beating Georgia in 2021, but who knows? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe the whole team just got lost or something and they have to play the ball boys and they win the national championship that year. But what I'm trying to say is it's really hard to win a national championship in college football unless you have a Heisman quarterback or you're a coach that inherits a great program or you're a first ballot, no doubt, Hall of Famer like a Nick Saban, like an Urban Meyer, like a Dabo Sweeney, like a Kirby Smart. Um, Pat Narduzzi did not inherit a great program. And while he is building into something special, he is, I mean, that's why Kenny Pickett was so special here because Pitt hadn't seen a player like him since Dan Marino at that position. They don't come around to Pitt very often. They don't. So it's, 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 a, it's a really, really difficult thing to do. So I don't think it's a fair thing to ask. Um, you know, I'm sure he wants one. I think that, you know, if we go another 10 years, and Pitt doesn't appear in a playoff with an expanded field, maybe you have a gripe. But the trajectory of this program is clearly up. You can have your gripes with Narduzzi. He's not a perfect coach by any means. Um, but, I mean, you, you look at the continuity here, and you look at some of the guys ahead of him on this list, I would say Pitt's in a better shape as a program than Wake Forest. I would argue they're in a better shape as a program than NC State. Places like Iowa, Oklahoma State, they're not that Kentucky. They're in that same conversation. So I think he's par for the course from a guy who's been at one spot as long as others in power five. I, I agree. It's just like, this isn't the NFL where there's a draft where everything's equal and, and it sets it up so that the, the, the have nots get a chance to be the haves 
with the draft and the process and there's a salary cap where everyone's based in it, you know, balanced and everything. There are ways built into professional leagues to manage this so that it is not just always the same teams winning all the time. And college football doesn't have, I mean, there's certainly programs that rise and fall like the rest of them, but this, this is very much, it is so much easier to keep the rich rich in yeah. college sports because of just the nature of it, because you're, you're, you're just getting scholarships to come in. Now you have NIL money that can be built up and certainly people, you know, programs could, you know, raise a whole lot of money and then, you know, the, uh, and then they'll find ways to get those sponsors to get to kids. And, you know, they'll, they'll, they, they can certainly change things up there, but that's no easy task. And, and the way that this is set up, there's 65 power five conference teams in, in football. And, there's just it's not only do you have the top dogs winning competition you know you know spending that money and doing that but you also have other schools out there who aren't top dogs who are competing right with you and have the similar amount of resources and that is so much different than like you know when when mike tomlin gets to say "Mm, i want broderick jones i want joey porter jr you can't just do that and the pit if Pitt got a chance to do that, there'd be a lot of different players that'd be coming into to the to, onto the Panthers roster, and they wouldn't just be able to get sniped from University of Central Florida the way that, that some of the recent ones have. But it's just the nature of the sport and how it's built. And I, agree, I actually was going to say this, and I agree with you entirely. I think that after some time, what may become the bar is the 12-team college football playoff right. and then expansion. When that expands to, to 12 teams, that is when I think that it's like, okay, get us in that. Like, if you can't do that over a span of time, then then it's a different story. But right now, there's only four teams, and with all the competition, you have to have a perfect, a, a near perfect season to be in that conversation. And then, even if you have the near perfect season, sometimes you have one or two losses, and there's still a team that has one or two losses in the SEC, and they're just going to be like, "Well, better conference, bye." And, and what can Pat Narduzzi do about that? Nothing. He's doing a, a really good job of what he's done with Pitt up to this point. I, I think that declaring this a failure is just an entirely out of scope yeah i mean i i look at the best case scenario for Pitt to reach a national championship under the sports court current format would be something similar to what we saw last year with tcu where they just refuse to die in every game and they win and they win and they win and while they weren't picked to be anything great at the start of the year they enter they, they they don't lose they enter the conference championship with that security blanket and they get into that final four they play the game of their life against whatever team they face in the first round in TCU's uh case it was Michigan um but i mean even that you look at it th- there's just such a disparity between the top tier of this sport and and everyone else where TCU had its miracle season of, you know, they had the fire drill field goal against Baylor. They had all this, everything that could have went right for them went right this year. They played, I think it was like six games against quarterbacks who got hurt. And so they're facing backups and it was a miracle year. And they had a great year out of their quarterback, Max Duggan, who no, no one saw that coming, but then you run into a team that, (laughs) has more money to spend than anyone else that is in a recruiting hotbed. And that is just a machine that Carter and I could coach to at least 10 wins. <laughs> and like, it's just that easy, man. I mean, it is that easy to explain. So we'll move on now. Tyler wants to know, is the punter situation figured out? I 
think so. Carter? Man, they 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 ain't gonna say nothing that has figured anything out. You still got you still got you know Junko who's 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 on there, uh, Cam Guest and Jeff Jeff Yerk. Um, I, I know I know this about them. They are like every year it seems like they're switching until unless you have like unless you have like a guy that you truly trust back there that that's been there for several years that's been the the guy. That this is going to be a thing that we still we're still asking going into week two or three because I, I I've, I've seen Pitt literally rotate punters in games because they're yeah. not they're not sure. So last year beyond, was three in one game exactly. Like, so yeah. like we we don't know. I, I do I do get the impression that all three of the guys have actually done well this camp from what I've heard. So like you know I think it, I think it'll be a, a still a decent competition. But that's one aspect that we don't you know we we don't get to see too much of is. Uh, is, is who is dominating the punt competition in practice. So we'll have to see who who does that in the first game against Wofford. I think what you're probably going to see is you know, they'll all get chances in that game if they punt um, because yeah. that, that that could very well be also the case is that they just run over Wofford and only punt maybe two times in the game. But I think this is still going to be an open competition. The one thing that I know about special teams is that Ben Sauls is still your guy at kicker. Yeah. I actually disagree with you. I, I don't Ooh. think Pat wants to do – this competition use multiple guys in a game. I, I maybe think Wofford just because I think everyone is going to play against Wofford. Um, that's why you schedule a team like Wofford in week one. Um, but I mean, Pat has said it numerous times in the spring uh, and he said it toward the end of last year. He said in 2023, we're going to find our guy and it's going to be one guy. We're done. We're done doing this rotation. And I don't know for a fact that anyone has given that amount of confidence uh, to him that says, I am the guy. Um, from everything I'm hearing, I think it's going to be Caleb Junko that gets the starting spot. But I do think there will be a, a remaining competition in practice each week. But I think if, if you're the starting punter for Pitt, you're going to be treated as such for the game. Unless if you really, really, really screw up. Um I just don't I don't think he wants to go through what he went through last year. He's going to find a guy, he's going to stick with them unless it gets so bad that he has to revert back to a rotation. Um I I I don't think Cam Guess is in the mix anymore. I really think it's it's Yerk and um what's his name? Junko. I think Junko starts. I think Yerko or Yerk will get reps. I think Guess is pretty much just a full-time holder at this point. That's from what I've heard. Again, I could be wrong. It could be three punters. Pat even suggested last year at a point in time that he would consider punting for the team. I would love to see that. Um, but no, in all seriousness, I, I think it's probably, it's probably Junko uh, as the guy taking the most snaps there. So we'll move on now to the final question. This one comes from David. Uh, David says he has not been hearing Elliot Donald's name at all in the preseason. Is he still on the team's plans for the defensive line rotation? I'll start by saying this. Um, we we heard a little bit from Charlie Partridge last week just saying he's, he's coming along. Here's my analysis on Elliot Donald. There are a lot of really good players on this defensive line. And he can, he can be a big-time high school prospect. He can be a guy who will eventually figure out it, figure things out at Pitt. But I don't I don't think that starting week one he's going to be one of those guys that rotates. There's just too many people at his position. You have three sixth-year guys ahead of him. They're all going to play. We've heard a ton about DeAndre Jules. 
We've heard a ton about Sean Fitzsimmons. That puts him right there at what, sixth? And, you know, you could talk about how deep your defensive line rotation is. There are only so many snaps in a football game. Yep. So you can't just rotate six different guys at two spots. That you're, 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 you really, if you're doing that, then what do you even have? So I, I don't think right now Elliot Donald is in that mix. I think he's probably on that next tier where maybe if there's multiple injuries, we see him come into a spot where he's a rotational player. Um, but I, I think that Dion or Dielli, or excuse me, Elliot Donald, we could see him become a guy like DeAndre Jules has become this fall camp, where it's someone you've been waiting, you've been waiting to, for him to have that breakout, and you see it in spots. But one day, I do think it's going to click for him, and he will be a big time player. And it might be next year when you know four of the five guys ahead of him right now on the depth chart are gone. Um, but as it currently stands, I, I don't expect him to play a ton with the ones. Do you, Carter? No, not at all. I, and it's not a slight on him. It's just that this is a stacked defensive line room. Yeah. And it's here's the other thing. It's only going to get more stacked. They added Sincere Edwards, and they have Jossier Weddington. This is a defensive line group that's going to have young talent coming in uh, very soon that's going to keep pushing. And you also, don't overlook Isaiah Neal, who has impressed yeah. in his in his true freshman rookie camp here, uh, where he's been where he's been with the Panthers. Um, and like you said, Sean Fitzsimmons, redshirt freshman, also turning heads. This is more so about like, hey man, like if you aren't. Uh, if, if you aren't excelling, not just doing well, but excelling, you're going to be behind the curve, you know, with, with some of these younger guys there. And I think that's where Elliot Donald is, that he's doing a good job. Charlie Parges, I believe he used the word like putting it together. Like he's yeah. still, he's still like polishing parts of his game. So like he's doing just fine. Like Devin Danielson was not, you know, you know, was not this, this, this capable starter, you know, a couple years ago when he was, when he was coming up on the, on the Panthers roster, neither was David Green. They were depth guys who were working their way up. And I, I think it's fine if Elliot Donald takes his time to, you know, to be, to, to become who, who, who he is. Pitt certainly developed the depth to be that, to have that on the defensive line right now so that they don't need him to be a star right now. And I know with his name, because his uncle's Aaron Donald, like, I get it. People are going to people are going to you know expect be ex- expecting a lot out of him, and who knows? Maybe he will show that at some point. But right now, I think what it is is just that there's other guys who are really talented who've had stronger camps, and that they're going to get the look. So if there's a rotation, I think he's on the back end of the second part of that rotation uh, as far as fitting guys in there. You'll probably see him in Wofford. You'll probably see him you know in some of these earlier games, um, but. He's, he still has, I think he still has some polishing to his game to do before he's part of a regular rotation on a defensive line that's extremely deep and well-coached by Charlie Partridge, who I think is the best defensive line coach in the league. Yeah, and, I mean, I, and I think you're going to see him this season in numerous settings just because it's hard to stay healthy for 13 games if you play mm-hmm. on the defensive line. There are guys mm-hmm. that are going to get banged up, and we'll, you'll see him for a series here or there, or... It might click, you know, the, the talent is there, but at the end of the day, I mean, this guy still is a red shirt sophomore, meaning that he has this season and two more yep. remaining. So it, it, it's, it's not a reason to panic. I get that he was a big time recruit, but sometimes big time recruits don't end up being immediate stars. Sometimes they never become stars, but I mean, there's, there's a four star defensive end on this team who people have been waiting to see play for a long time. 
and now Deion he's Hayes. finally getting his chance now in yep. Deion Hayes. So the it it's 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 great when you land a player like that. Again, I've said this before. I don't think his last name helps him at all. I think it puts him under a microscope. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're a two star or a five star. If you're making plays, they're going to find a spot for you. Mm-hmm. And the guys that we hear making plays, aside from those, the aside from Bentley, Danielson, and Green, you know, the three sixty year guys who have been playing here forever, are. DeAndre Jules and, and Sean Fitzsimmons. Those are the two names that get brought up as far as defensive tackles go. And while Partridge told us verbatim, I think he said, Fitzsimmons will be playing for us this year. You know, we, we just haven't had yeah. any, we haven't had any dialogue like that for Elliot Donald. So um, I'm, again, I'm not saying give up on the guy. He's got this season and two more. I think he will figure it out. I just right. think that some guys, ahead of him have been around longer and other guys who are younger than him might've figured it out before him. And that's nothing against him. He's just, he's just putting it together as his coach mm-hmm. said. Mm-hmm. Carter, that's all we got. Any final thoughts as we wrap it up for today? Just that I'm so excited for football to be back at uh, man. Like even if it's just Navy versus Notre Dame, I don't care, man. Give it to me. I just need to see football action, baby. It's all oh, man. It's just time. It's that time of the year, man. I get the the, the, the fresh gra- grass is cut. Everyone's excited. I want to run like you know gassers a little bit and only like once one of them, and then like I get tired and I'm like uh, I don't need to run gases anymore. But it's just that feel of football's back, baby, and I'm just so excited. Yeah, I, I I agree. I'm just I'm ready to sit down on my couch on a Saturday, um, and just turn on College Game Day. I w- I'm ready to see some marching bands on the field. I'm ready to to walk on the North Shore and smell tailgating. You know, you smell the the grills cooking. You, you smell a little bit of natty light in the air as well. You know, it, it, it's it's football season, man. And next week when we do this, we'll be talking about. It's the most anticipated matchup of the college football calendar, Pitt versus Wofford. <laughs> Hit that subscribe all button if you haven't already. Follow us on all of our social media platforms and keep it tuned in to the Post-Gazette Sports Dow YouTube channel podcast network for all of your Pittsburgh sports content. Take care. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you enjoyed the video, please like it and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out our Apple Podcast channel for more podcast content. Click below for a special deal of 99 cents for a three-month subscription to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette.